Welcome to your show. Or mine. Or mine. Or mine. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Joe Dallas. What am I? Programming technician. Programming technician at the Longview Public Library. And I'm Jacob Collins, Youth Services uh, Technician at the Longview Public Library. I'm Austin Brigden, Circulation Specialist at the Longview Public Library. And today we're here to try something new, and we're doing a, a series this year we're calling Book Club Convos, where we'll be kind of dishing about the books that we've read in the library book clubs in the last few months, and um, maybe giving a little preview of what's coming up. Our real thoughts on them, not the ones we <laughs> tone down for the children. Book Club's Uncensored. But we won't be sharing names of book club members. No. no. Totally confidential. Except for you. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> so we run a number of book clubs here at the library. Let me just run down from Littlest. We've got what we call Little Kids Book Club, which Joe and Jacob do with some children who are in kindergarten through second grade. We've got Kids Book Club, which Jacob and I do, which is third through fifth grade we've got the american girl book club which i do and that is open to all readers who love american girl we do uh, the evergreen teen book club which jacob and i do we do the adult book club which joe and austin do joe does a romance book club called read romance smash the patriarchy is that right fight the patriarchy. fight the patriarchy i'm sorry and then next month, we'll be starting a new graphic novel book club, which Austin and Jennifer will be doing. So in our next book club roundup episode, we'll haul Jennifer in here as well. Is that all of them? Did I get them all? Unless we're counting book club for our times, which I don't think we are. Every proper book club with books. <laughs> um, but there is also cookbook book club. Okay, they don't right. read one book or, or consult one cookbook. Right. And then... The former book club for our times, which is now issues for our times, they don't all read the same book either. But they're just as as good. I, I mean, they've gone to a viewing uh, content where yes. they view things and then discuss. So where do we start? Will we start at young and and go to olds or? Sure. So I'll turn it over to you guys. All right. So we'll start. We're kind of focusing December, January, February, and December. December in the Little Kids Book Club, we read The Secret Explorers. Do you want to talk a bit about what the series of books, the format? Sure. So the Secret Explorers series is about a group of kids who are all part of this like secret organization where they have this computer that will summon two of them. Well, actually, it summons all of them because that was one of our discussion questions. Right. It summons all of them and then it selects two to go out on the mission for whoever is going to have the best skill set. And then those two go on a mission together to try to solve some sort of problem. 
and it tries to mix in elements of like science and STEM and sometimes like environmental issues, at least in the one that we read, which was about whales. Yeah, but we'll we'll get a series of them, so not everyone is reading the same book, and then that gives an opportunity for the kids to talk about the book they read and then maybe get others interested in that book that they read and the books are early readers or sometimes beginning chapter books and they'll have pictures in them so they talk about the illustrations um this one also it was more steam right because wasn't there artists there was yeah that's right Yeah. yeah And uh, one of the questions we had was why, or Jacob thought of it, why do all of the explorers have to go and then they sit in a waiting room and only two get picked to go solve the problem? (laughs) And then we were asking, what do you think the other ones do in the waiting room? And what were their answers? Do you remember? I remember one of them was like, they just watch them. Oh, like on a screen? I was wondering if they played, like, video games while they're waiting or or what. So that was kind of cute. And then we always do uh, an activity or a craft after the discussion. And for this one, we did a compass where they had to kind of make a compass, put a compass rose in the middle that could have been whatever they wanted. And then they had to, we talked about finding north, south. Like where it was as far as the the room that we were sitting in, mm-hmm. which they liked. They like doing that. They always like the activities, it seems. Yeah, these group of kids really like the STEAM elements of the books that we've been doing. Uh, some of the kids said that the Secret Explorer series was their favorite that they've done so far. One of the moms shared with us that her daughter didn't like reading before the Little Kids Book Club, and that's made her really like reading so now she's a huge reader which is such a wonderful compliment because i think that is an age group where they could go either way Mm -hmm. they could you know be become really interested in books and good readers or have a bad experience and not decide they don't like to read yeah i've tried to be very careful when i'm selecting the books that i want to pick things that are well reviewed and that kids have liked you know, I, I don't want to be picking something that's going to turn them away <laughs> from reading forever. So. And I think you do a good job about, you know, you'll have uh, boy main characters and then girl main characters. Like it's a real mix, you know, for everyone that comes. Thank you. I have a question. Yeah. So they're traveling like around the world in contemporary times? I think they do go back in time a little bit in one of them because that deals with the one i read they went to ancient egypt oh yeah okay so and then they had to break into a pyramid and with a a boy that lived in the ancient egyptian times so there's time travel involved yeah Mm -hmm. so they must have some sort of time machine yeah, they have like a, a time machine and it also just kind of changes to whatever the mission is. Uh-huh. Like I think in it's a submarine in the one that I read. Oh, because it was under under the sea exploration. Right. Yeah, they had to help whales. Uh, a baby whale gets separated from the rest of the pod and they have to help reunite them. That so sounds you, fun. Yeah, you want to talk about January? Sure, what was our book for January? It was Rainbow Days. Rainbow Days, that's right. And it was kind of about more social-emotional, where the girl's having a bad day, and then things that she she does to cheer herself up. Um, and she does a lot of art 
in the book. And so the we did some art. We did some negative space painting where they use painter's tape to kind of do a winter scene. And then they painted over it with white glitter paint. And then, you know, when they got home and it was dry, they'd peel the paint back. And one thing that happened in the January book club for Rainbow Days, one of the questions we asked, if you were to write your own Rainbow Days story, what would happen in it? And some of the kids were coming up with some really good stories, like off the spot with conflicts and character development. And so we decided that for the February one, they would have an opportunity to bring a story that they have written and share it with the group if they wanted. And we had that happen just last night. Yeah, it was great. We had two people bring in, two kids bring in their works and read them. Uh, One of them had their mom read it for them and the other one read it themselves. And it was really fun and it was really cute. Had some art in there and... Then there were a lot of kids who were interested in doing it next time because Joe handed out these little journals for, as a oh, as a prize for sharing, and so all the kids want these journals now. So <laughs> yeah, we said you go, you gotta bring in the story that you wrote. So that was really fun, and then the, you know, everyone clapped and they got really happy, and one of the girls started writing her next chapter of oh. her story, like in her journal, right there. That was pretty fun. And then for February, we did a book. It was really good for Black History Month, Miles Lewis on Thin Ice. Miles Lewis, King of the Ice. Oh, right. Sorry. So that was about learning to skate, playing hockey. He has a competitive friend that makes a bet, and that bet makes him feel not so good. And it's also about he's really close with his grandma. And so one of the questions we asked if the kids were close with one of their grandparents, and we had some cute stories one of the little girls a new little person came with their grandpa so that was real nice and she told us that she helps him do chores and some of them help their grandparents garden or cook did you guys all read the same book for this one yeah we all read the same book and we try to mix that up every once in a while we've had some participants say they like it when everyone's reading Mm -hmm. the same book but uh, there's a lot who like doing different books especially the ones who come in and have like two or three kids So then they can get two to three different books. Right. And then this book mentioned Willie O'Ree, who was the first black hockey player in the NHL. And he's a Canadian, and I didn't even know about him. So I was happy to learn that. They called him the Jackie Robinson of the NHL, and he secretly played with a blind eye. Yeah, so he broke a lot of color barriers and was just awesome. Um, And then we had our activity for this one was fun. I made two little hockey rinks from an aluminum pan. And then I put a piece of paper down and put the red tape for the red lines and blue stickers for the blue circles on the hockey rink. And then we had a button for the puck. And I did little wooden spoons, which I cut a little bit off the spoon. And those were the sticks. And the kids loved it, especially the real energetic kids were right there uh, playing. Oh, and then the nets were made out of pipe cleaner. So they got to uh, play hockey. But then more fun was trying to crack the ice (laughs) with the sticks. And then at the end, 
one of them wanted to smash the ice in the parking lot, but he was real, uh, real environmentally conscious, and he took all the tape off and the stickers off first so he wouldn't litter, and then they took it outside and smashed it. And then he came back in and it was like, that was so satisfying. (laughs) So that was real. It was a fun one, I think. They liked it. Yeah. Did you grow up playing hockey, Joe? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, absolutely. That's what um, someone told me. Oh, in Canada, they must hand out skates when you leave the hospital. And that's (laughs) not true. But everyone, when I grew up, everybody skated and everybody swam. That was real. Like, even in Canada, even the smallest of towns, like, I think the town I grew up in was 8,000. We had a humongous, humongous hockey rink. Uh Our town was the Trail Smoke Eaters. It was the hockey team because there's a factory in the town. And they actually won the World Cup. Whoa. Twice in, like, the, in this, once in the 50s and once in the 60s, they won the World Cup. So it's. Hockey culture is uh, huge. My sister played on a team, and then we played in PE. Like we would, they would bus us to the rink. But even like the next town over, it's probably, it's maybe one thousand people. They have their own hockey rink, and it's so cheap. It's like when we go home, it's like a dollar to skate and a dollar to rent skates. Like it's very. Because the government, you know, sponsors it and everything. So it's very economical. Yeah, everyone everyone does it there. Do you have anything else about little kids? Oh, I was going to share that story about one of our kids who had his mom change his doctor's appointment because he wanted to come to little kids book club. <laughs> so what's more important, your health or book club? And he made his choice. Book club is a part of your whole health. That's true. Yeah, your holistic, yeah. spiritual um, Mental health. Yeah. So our kids book club is usually the fourth Wednesday of the month. And we didn't have one in December because that's Christmas time. And then we haven't had our February one yet. So I only really have the January book to talk about. And it's called Time Villains. I always call it Time Pirates in my mind. Because there's pirates in it. Because there's pirates in it. So this book is by... Victor Pinheiro. And the main character... Javi. Javi is really into um, cooking. And he goes to a school that he doesn't realize until a little bit into the book is unusual. And at the very beginning of the book, he and his little sister and his best friend and his dad get a table from... I don't know, like a secondhand store and like a dining room table. And it turns out the table is magic. What's the table's name? I'll look it up. And his little sister, who's like, she's like the muscle and his friend is the brains. And he says he's the stomach. And she's the one who kind of recognizes the table as magic first and talks to her. They call the table Andy. Andy. Anyways, so at this unusual school that they attend, every everyone every grade every year has the same assignment where they're supposed to write an essay and but also plan a meal for that kind of prompt of if you could have dinner with any three people who would it be and Javi needs to do really good on this assignment because it's a big part of his grade and he he chooses young Mozart yes 
because he thinks he's trying to yeah he's trying to gain the system so he's trying to pick ones that like his teachers he thinks his teachers will think are good choices so he picks um young mozart he picks oh this one is just for him the earl of sandwich because he's really loves sandwiches and and then his friend kind of tricks him or like makes a joke about how he should invite edward teach edward teach because like teach it's like teacher and your teacher will like that and so he's like cool but edward teach is blackbeard the pirate so here he comes to their dinner table because surprise the table can actually make them come to the dinner in real life so they have this dinner with Blackbeard, with young child Mozart, and the Earl of Sandwich at a time where he has not yet invented the sandwich. And when the dinner is over, Blackbeard refuses to go home. And from there, shenanigans ensue. <laughs> and Blackbeard becomes basically the, the main antagonist mm-hmm. of the series, and or the book. He is essentially trying to make it to where this is his permanent residence because he learns from history books that he dies and so to prevent his death he wants to stay in this new world and basically take it over and so he begins scheming to try to bring his pirate crew with him from the table into the world and to take over this town and it kind of they figure out later that this town almost exists in like a pocket dimension Uh and this school is weird because all of the people all the teachers from the school are people people that have been pulled from the table. And so they have Ahab, who is the, like, marine teacher, like Ahab from Moby Dick. They have a science teacher who's Dr. Jekyll. Frida Kahlo teaches their art class. And then their principal is... Dorothy. Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. So there's this conflict where Blackbeard is trying to get them to turn over the ability to that'll let him use the table okay. and so he's give, he gives them like three days to pass this thing over and he sort of starts trying to ruin their lives behind the scenes and eventually it all comes down to a showdown where blackbeard does get control of the table he brings his pirate crew over and he does manage to take over the school and the kids have to fight okay. him along with other people that they end up summoning from the table too yeah. And also they're, like, teachers, other teachers and stuff who, like, you know, don't want the school to be strict. And I'll say that, so for Jave's dinner, he makes fried plantains. His father in the story is Puerto Rican. Um, And so I spent most of our book club attempting to fry plantains in our, like, library (laughs) kitchenette for the children. Uh, which didn't turn out very good and which they barely ate. But I missed like a lot of the conversation about the book <laughs> because of that. I'm like, kids, I made these. And they're like, mm, this is some pretzels. But um, I will say I didn't really care for the book, but it sounds like the kids really liked it. Yeah, Becky and I had talked about how neither of us were really big fans of it, mm-hmm. but we were both like, this is something that kids will enjoy. Yeah. And they did. Yeah, because it's like, I don't know, the stakes are high, but it's pretty drawn out. And then in the end, I feel like they make this big deal about how the kids are, like, chosen to be, like, the guardians of this table. They totally mess it up. The friend who's the brain is, like, making all these terrible choices over and over again. And and I feel like the adults do come in and kind of, like, 
fix it, but then the kids get the grades. It's <laughs> kind of funny. And I also do have a bias in that I don't like pirates. What did the kids say about the book? Yeah, so they liked that it had a lot of action, and they liked the different figures from history and being able to connect those with people that they knew. And there were a couple that they didn't recognize. Like there was a teacher who was like Mrs. Sherry Zaid or Z- Sherry Zod, you know, Shaharazad. She's the English teacher. Right. And yeah, the, they liked they liked the action. They liked the humor. They liked the relationships between the main characters. They thought that the friend group worked pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they liked the dynamics of that. And overall, they were looking forward to the sequel. I would say it reminded me a little of like the land before the land before first land land of stories, the Chris Colfer books. Oh yeah, yeah. Where the two siblings go into this world where it's like populated with storybook characters. I also didn't really care for those books, but it's like you know there's a lot to work with because you can put like any character in and interact with these children, and I guess like high interest is the is the word. And yes, this is the first in a series, and I don't do this purposefully when i like pick the books for the kids book club but often they are the first in a series i've learned from doing the romance book club that i think that's the best way yeah to go because otherwise there's questions you know like i always try to pick new books but if you if you're down in the series there's stories that you don't know it makes it harder i think yeah yeah there's that whole what do you think will happen next and Mm-hmm. Yeah, it lends it to like fun discussion. Especially when there's like a little preview of the next book, and then you can kind of get a little taste. Yeah. Or if some kids like just brought them up. So yeah, neither Becky nor I cared for this one. But the children love it. So if you are looking for a book for a kid, for American Girl Book Club last month we did Courtney, and that was really fun. Courtney is from the 1980s, 89. And so far, she's like the most recent American girl that we've read. There's only, I think, one. I guess there's two because they're twins. That is more recent. It's the 1999 girls that had come out last year. So I haven't read their book. They, the dolls came out, I don't know. And then like nine months later, a book about them came out. Was there anything that you recognized that was place i don't know i don't think you were born then but no i so i would have been like four during most of the the events of the book so i don't remember but it was it was really interesting and like some of the parents that come were probably like around courtney's age at that time which was kind of cool and i was like this is so neat because this is the first time i think we'd read a book where it'd be easy to find somebody to talk to about what had happened then so there's two books in the series, and then the first one really kind of focuses on Courtney's mother is running for, for mayor and kind of dealing with a lot of, like, how you can be a mom and a mayor at the same time. <laughs> and uh, but a lot of it's around the Challenger disaster. So, like, mm-hmm. in her classroom, they are, like, learning about all of the astronauts and and especially um, the one who is a teacher mm-hmm. and spending a lot of their time learning about that. And then they watched it live on TV. I watched it live yeah. on TV. I remember. Yeah, it was, I mean, I cried. It was really intense in the book. Yeah. I feel like they didn't really shy away from dealing with any of the hard stuff. Like 
the you know the kids are like what did we just see and the teacher turns off the the tv and he's like doesn't know what to do and then later they you know they end up having like conversations about what had happened and how you deal with it she goes home and she talks to her her mom she also so her her parents are divorced and she lives in like a blended family so her stepdad and she has a stepsister they have to share a room and and um her stepsister her her mother had died of like cancer and she they have like different kind of sibling conflicts in the book and Courtney talks about throughout the book kind of about how and I don't remember the name of that astronaut who was the teacher do any of you guys no I don't remember but how she reminded her a lot her her mom and so when she died in this terrible like accident she really thought about like what if my mom had died and then it really made her like understand her stepsister a lot better Mm. it was just really good and then in the second one she gets a friend um who moves they're in like Los Angeles who moves to LA from I don't know like Ohio or something because it's the only county in the United States where kids with AIDS are legally protected and allowed to go to school like everywhere else in the whole United States it's legal for children to be like expelled essentially for having like AIDS, HIV. in 80, 1989 1989 okay. so they come for that reason and she finds out that he is hiv positive from a blood transfusion and they're trying not to let people know because they were like harassed and like kind of driven out of the town that they lived in but people do find out and it's about her kind of like figuring out how to be a good friend to him and she like educates herself about hiv aids and then like tries to educate like her friends and classmates about it and it really doesn't shy away from all of the hard stuff about that either. I was really impressed. Actually, I'm pretty pretty much always impressed by the American Girl books. Um, so that was a really good one. That's what we read last month, and then we're reading Mary Ellen next. But I haven't I haven't started those. She lives in the 50s, and she has polio. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to talk about vaccines. Probably. Yeah. What's next? Teen. Teen. Oh my gosh. For December, so we had read Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Dooley. Um, highly recommend. A lot of, I think I didn't really remember because, like, a lot of people came and they're like, I didn't read it. And so we ended up not <laughs> talking about that book, really, and talking about, like, other stuff. But it is very good. It is about um, Donis, who has just finished high school, and she lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Her mother's family are kind of like descendant of like French fur trappers and her father's side of the family are um, Ojibwa and she her parents were like teenagers when they made her so she kind of deals with like a little bit of that um, like a stigma from her grandparents who still like support her and everything but didn't want her like dad to be involved in her life and so right when she was born he wasn't put on her birth certificate. And so she's not like a legal member of the tribe, um, even though like culturally she's really involved in it. And that kind of plays a role in the book. Her father has died by the time the book starts. And she has this, um, a brother, a half brother. There's all this like family drama in the past um, who is like almost her same age. And they're good friends. And 
she was a hockey player. There's a lot of hockey in this book, too. So if you're into that, because um, they're in Sault Ste. Marie, which is like really like three different borders. So they're in upper Michigan, um, just across from Canada. So there's that border plays in and then also the tribal border. The book takes like a bit of time to like set the scene. You get to know her and the community that she lives in and her family and the hockey. And then there is like a murder. And it turns into like a murder mystery. It's really, really good. You should read it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then in January, we read Perfect on Paper. It's by Sophie Gonzalez. I would recommend Firekeeper's Daughter 2 for like adults. If you ever need another one for adult book club, I think it's a really good crossover title. Um, Perfect on Paper is by Sophie Gonzalez. And this was really delightful. Kind of rom-commy book the main character's name is Darcy and she secretly runs um this like relationship advice locker at her school um she goes to like a fancy private school because her mom teaches there and she's able to have like access to this locker and kids can drop in their like questions into the locker and she reads them and like emails them a response and she charges like ten dollars uh, advice and she has a money-back guarantee. And she's been doing this for like three years by the time the book starts. So when the kids drop in their question, do they have like a $10 bill yeah. on it? Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Yeah. And it's kind of like her main job. And she got into it because she's like really into like self-help books and reading about relationships. Um, and all of her answers that she writes are like well-researched. She's into like different kinds of like attachment theories and all of this stuff but she's worried about being found out about it especially since the end of the previous school year she had got a question that related first a question that related to her best friend who she has a crush on and then a question from her best friend about the other person and she wrote back responses that sabotaged a potential relationship between them and so she feels like all this guilt for doing that but then also is like obsessed with her friends so at the beginning of the book she gets found out by this swimmer guy his name is broham and he he's like i need to hire you to help me get my girlfriend back and she thinks that he's like blackmailing her um but that's ends up doing he's like oh no i was just asking it plays into other dynamics that happen so she does but of course they're like getting to know each other through that so there might be something there and then her friend does end up actually dating this other girl anyway not the same girl but a different girl and so she's kind of dealing with her feelings around that and then there's other stuff going on she's got an older sister who's trans She's got involvement in this queer club at school and she deals a lot with like bi erasure and there's like good conversations about that in the book where even like her friend who she has a crush on says something to her about liking boys, you know, and then going straight and she's like, well, whatever relationship I'm in is a queer relationship because I'm queer and they end up having like a, you know, a nice conversation about that in the club and I just thought it was really fun, really cute. Yeah, when you were telling me yeah. about it, it really reminded me of Sex Education from Netflix. Yes, yeah, it definitely has Sex Education vibes. 
if you took out all of like the raunchy parts, I guess. Yeah, cleaner. Yes, it is like that. I am reading right now, though, a different YA novel called On the Subject of Unmentionable Things. And it's very similar plotting, but instead of relationship advice, the character gives sex education and like it's not advice, it's like answering questions like mm-hmm. about the human body and stuff like that. But yeah, I read an interview where the author talks about how she felt like since she wrote this book, she sees like this kind of idea in like a couple of different shows and other books. Like there was something in the air at the time. There are several people mm-hmm. writing something similar and it all coming out around the same time. I know that Sex Education is is British. It's mm-hmm. a British show. But do you think that it's these books are coming out for teens because of the lack of sex education in schools or at home and um, just trying to get that information out there for teens that would naturally have questions? I definitely think that the book I'm reading right now on the subject of unmentionable things is doing that. Like, and it's like, I think the author's intention is to do that. I don't know so much if that's the case here. It's just more about relationships. Yeah, or if she was trying to explore this idea of, like, the girl who knows everything about relationships and offers advice to everybody else about them, like, can't do her own, you know. I remember one of the kids that came did not like the main character. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think she liked any of the characters, (laughs) which I can see that. We also read The Initial Insult by Mindy McGinnis. We read that in... I feel like that was October. Yeah, I think we talked about the beginning of November. That book's bonkers. Yeah. But highly recommend it. I read it and I was like, who will I recommend this to? Who can I recommend this to? And I was like, Heather McBride. You would like this book. And I think she's not read every book that Mindy McGinnis has written. Really? So, yeah. Wow. So I nailed that recommendation. Nicely done. <laughs> but yeah, this book is about Tress and Felicity, who used to be childhood friends, but they are no longer friends because... Tress's parents went missing and Felicity was the last person to see them alive and it seems like Felicity might know more than she's letting on but at least in the first book she seems to be very conservative with the information and she doesn't she seems to imply that she doesn't really know but as the book goes on maybe she knows more than she's saying and they go to this party and Tress basically kidnaps Felicity and like hides her in this basement and is building like a brick wall around her as time passes and is like I'm gonna lock you in here and leave you if you don't answer my questions. That sounds pretty freaky. It is. The book is based off of like uh, the work of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh I was gonna say the cask of Amontillado. But it integrates all of these different stories also, at the same time, so they're having this big house party at this abandoned aban- yeah, house, house, and it's going to be demolished, which is kind of the reason that they're having this big party out there. But then also, if she bricks up Felicity in this house, it's going to be demolished like on Monday. But all the kids are there at this party because their football game was canceled because of this flu that's going around. And so also at this party, everyone is just getting sick. And uh, it's crazy. Wow. <laughs> also, her father runs like a 
like a exotic animal yes. zoo. Uh-huh. And one of the animals escapes and it's like a panther, like a black panther. <laughs> and it goes into this party, uh-huh. sneaks into this house. And so there's that element uh-huh. where this this cat is creeping around. Oh. And the second one is just as crazy. Like a little bit of a a spoiler i'm not really towards the end of the first book uh she gets like a cut from the panther on her hand and just deal with it really quick she wraps it in duct tape oh my god (laughs) and so throughout the second book she's dealing with this like rotting wound on her hand that's just wrapped in duct tape it's disgusting oh wow this book is so good And the second book is called The Last Laugh, and it's a duology, correct? Okay. Two and done. Does that bring us to adults? Yeah. (laughs) It's finally your turn to talk. What? (laughs) Which one are you going to start with? I was just going to say first that uh, the adult book club is like, we've got a really strong group. I want to say like an average 15 to 20 every time. Yeah. We meet on the last Wednesdays. Um, We change the time. There's a social time at 5.30. And then the discussion of the book starts at six. Yes. And the first book, the December book, was Book of Difficult Fruit by Kate LeBeau, who is uh, lives in Spokane. Um, I don't remember if it won, but I know it was the finalist for the Pacific Northwest Booksellers Award and, and maybe was up for, for some other regional awards. We picked kind of a short mm-hmm. short book for December. That's the feedback we get from people is what they want Because we December. we met two days after christmas on the 27th and we still had 12 people come to that one so and our december meeting is always fun because we there's always always good snacks and then we do a book exchange too like white elephant style which people really get a kick out of but kate lebeau's book is really really good it's a book of essays each one is about a difficult fruit and so there's all these sort of interesting facts and things but like through the different essays she kind of doles out little bits about herself so you get this sort of picture of her and her life and And there's also recipes of how she cooks the difficult fruit i guess or what she does with it yeah oh like dorian dorian is in there some of them are harder to get than others and she stretches uh to do her concept sometimes so like zucchini was on there which i guess is difficult because there's overabundance and Mm. some of them were pretty straightforward but yeah durian was on there and i was surprised there were some people that had tried yeah tried it yeah and quince quince was on there uh joe made scones and we brought jam and stuff for the for the discussion yeah quince was on there medlar which is a really weird kind of medieval fruit a nursery i worked at had a medlar tree you have to like bled it, which is basically kind of let it rot before it's edible, um, and it's really ugly. It's a whole, you know. I don't know. Oh. Aronia was on there. Kiwi. What, wheat. Remember. Wheat was on there because she discusses her ex boyfriend and who was gluten free and. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be Will Wheaton. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Osage oranges. Um, which was one of the only ones you really couldn't do much with. Right. Except like... They marmalade. S- marmalade, or like put them in a bowl and That's set them on bad. your counter. Yeah, mm-hmm. and look at them, because they're really, really, really hard. There was some berries, wasn't there? Because we... Blackberries were Blackberries, yeah. And so, because 
this book was we did we wanted a Pacific Northwest author in a nonfiction category. So that was the choices that people had to pick from and they voted for this one. And so we asked for people's berry picking stories. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there, there were was some, some fun, ones. fun ones. One one person grew up in Kelso and he talks about being real little and picking all the blackberries and then selling them to his neighbors. Uh-huh. I had one that I shared what was actually my husband's story. Oh, there was huckleberries. They, oh, she talked about there, huckleberries. Yeah. And how where I grew up in the interior of BC, huckleberries were always purple or dark, dark. Yeah, like a purple and really sweet. And they're very specific. They grow high in the mountains in forested areas. And they're not, you can't domesticate them, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we always had a lot of berry picking stories. And when my husband, we were first going out, we lived with my mom one summer. We were working. And um, he took her berry picking. And my mom is of Italian descent, so she brought her purse. <laughs> Just not go anywhere without her purse. And they were picking berries. And uh, my husband said, oh, I'm getting hungry. And so she whips out her purse and she's got sandwiches in there and some chocolate bars. And my husband's very scared of bears. And they were up in the mountains. And uh, he goes, he goes, my mom's name is Bunny. He goes, Bunny, you're, you're going to, if a bear comes, he goes, you're going to put your purse down and your berries down and walk away, right? And she goes, I'm not giving the bear my berries. <laughs> It was the first time he learned just what a character <laughs> my mom is. <laughs> but I we we did that every summer. I think we went and picked huckleberries, and then we had jam and pie and huckleberry cake. And um, my husband, the summer we lived with my mom, he worked at a restaurant up there. He lied and said he was a cook so he could get it, and he had never done it before, but he made it up as he went along. That was pre-internet day, so nobody could check your resources. And he said little kids would come to the restaurant and sell the berries, and he would buy them and make a cheesecake with them, which was a big hit in the town. Yeah, People would come and buy whole cheesecakes from him. Wow. Yeah. That was a good discussion. That they, people really told a lot of stories. And another thing that was interesting, uh, one of the people talked about pickling watermelon rinds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I had never heard of. Yeah, and I can't quite imagine what that tastes like, but apparently it's delightful. Gooseberries were on there also. Yeah, there were a lot of nostalgia right. fruits yeah. um, for people. I was going to say that I had put bird seed out for the birds in the backyard, not thinking, and they also totally cleaned off this gooseberry bush. Mm. It's okay. Like, look at all the birds. Oh, no. When are they ripe? Depends who you ask. I mean, you can pick them much more tart, or you can leave them on the bush a long time until they eventually get soft and they'll be sweeter. And so it kind of depends how you like them Mm. and whether you're just eating them fresh or if you're using them for pie. Yeah, I need to plant that in the ground, too. I've had this tortured little gooseberry bush in a pot for a long time. But it's kind of an old-timey thing that people used to have. I talked to my dad about that. People I don't had think gooseberries. I've ever had them. Really? Yeah, yeah. People, old-timers that he worked for and stuff would always have, like, some gooseberry bushes. 
and rhubarb and all these different things. It's a really delightful book and a pretty fast read. I'm really curious to see what she does in the future. I think it's her first book. People talked a lot on that one, but that's not always the case. We never know. Yeah. Like we'll come in with our pages of questions and sometimes like we won't get through four questions because people are just like rolling. And then other times, I've probably said this to all of you, but it's like you're a comedian who's bombing and you're just like <laughs> yeah. throwing questions out and they're landing it's just with Austin a thud. and I talking. <laughs> yeah, and we burn through all our questions. Yeah. And it's not even like that they don't like the book. If they don't like the book, they usually have stuff to say, but it's just like they just don't have a lot to say. They're just like, yeah. And I yeah. feel like the next book was kind of like that. And I was, if I remember right, um, it was the sentence. Lisa Erdrich. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought people would have so much to say. Yeah. Because that book is so packed with stuff and information and characters. It was written during the pandemic. So it was the first book I had read that talks about being in the pandemic. And just it brought back a lot of those memories and talking about in the early days when you couldn't get masks. And she has this set in a bookshop. It's her bookshop. And someone wears a bra over their face for a mask. <laughs> it's funny. It's a really, really fun book. Um, but yeah, first one also to sort of, to, yeah, to capture 2020 and the protests that were going on at the same time. It's right. set in Minneapolis. So the center of the George Floyd protests. And as Joseph, so Louise Erdrich, if people don't know, is a Ojibwe author. She's written many, many, many books. But this one's really different for her kind of different style most a lot of her books are sort of historical and yeah she sets it in her bookstore becky read this one too she sets it in her bookstore and there's a character named louise yeah she's a character in her book and the bookstore is haunted by this kind of white this white lady this ghost this white lady who's kind of like a wannabe indian is haunting this native bookstore which is based on you know birch bark books or i don't know if she calls it that in the in the novel i don't think she means it but she has an actual bookstore called Birchwork Books, which is in Minneapolis, too. Yeah. I thought you guys read that in November. We did. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that was the one before yeah. the Yeah. So the one oh, in no. January was The Violin Conspiracy. Oh, how did I forget that? Yeah. By Brendan Slocum. Do you want to say a little bit about it? Um, yeah. This book's been really popular. There's already another book by this guy who's kind of a, just broken out and, and become very popular. Um, he's a black professional musician in the classical music world, and he writes these sort of black-centered classical music mysteries. And uh, and you said, right, that he his first book came out, he's middle-aged? Yeah, he's not a young guy. I mean, he's had a whole career and, and yeah, later in life uh, writer, and he draws on his experience a lot. This character, you, the book kind of opens, and this character's violin has been stolen and it emerges that it's a Stradivarius. I like a lot of people who read it. I kind of had a trouble at the beginning because I felt like he launches you in kind of like in mid-action, but you kind of don't have any attachment to anything, so the crisis is sort of like, all right. But then they go back to the beginning of this guy's life. It's a lot of family history, talking about racial experiences, the racist experiences that he encountered or suffered throughout his life. We had a large turnout. We had 20 people come, and I was getting people coming up to me when I was on desk beforehand saying how much they loved it. There's, I think everyone except one person yeah. loved, loved this one. Yeah. And, and one of the big things of the book is that he's going along and sort of gets into playing violin he has like a school rental 
partially because sort of the only person in his family that he he really who sees him and he connects with is his grandmother who always talks about her grandfather who was a freed slave playing the fiddle and so at, at a certain point he's there for the holidays i think and spends like the whole time searching for this this fiddle that is supposedly still in the attic somewhere um, and she ends up later presenting it to him and giving it to him and so he plays on this real old beat up fiddle and eventually it emerges that this fiddle is a Stradivarius there comes about this kind of conflict over the origins of the fiddle the grandfather's character when he was freed was supposedly given the fiddle you know but then the family of the slave owners kind of come out of the woodwork once this there's this news story about this kid who has a Stradivarius and they want it back um, and so there's a lot of drama with that. Meanwhile, you know, he, he finds a mentor and kind of starts climbing up in the classical music world. And the book kind of culminates at the Tchaikovsky competition in Moscow, by which time the Stradivarius has been stolen. So there's kind of a mystery about who stole, uh, who stole the Stradivarius. Although, like, I feel like a lot of the folks in the book club, as, as interesting as that was, were really much more interested in, like, the emotional arc of him and his family and like the racism and stuff yeah um, was the, really what made it good the epilogue at the end as when you learn that he's and the author is a classical musician and he experienced all these events happened in real life and the mom too his mom was not supportive of him so right. there was a lot of talk of poverty and the you know genetics of poverty and how she probably just couldn't imagine that world for him so she was she protecting him by not encouraging him to go into music or was it something else and she's not she's like she's not just like not supportive she's like mean to him about yeah. it like very discouraging wants him to like stop going to school and and get a job at popeyes and she wants money she from wants him. the money yeah, yeah. And then the whole family dynamic where he is so giving, like they just want him to sell this violin when they find out it's a Stradivarius and and split the money between everybody. Yeah, eventually he ends up in a position where his family is suing him and the slave mm -hmm. owner's family is suing him. It's really interesting. And it's really interesting because it gives this peek into the classical music world, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people of color in the classical music world. And he gives some figure that's like 1.8% of, of classical musicians and symphonies and, and schools and all this stuff are people of color. And now he's written another one. I think it's called The Secret Symphony that deals with sort of drama around a symphony written by a black person that's stolen. And he's got this real different angle that's really catching people's attention. And someone brought violin cookies. Yes. Cute. She brought, <laughs> yes, that was amazing. Yeah. Oh, and another thing, if people don't know, the, the book club, we vote for our book. So we do it two months in advance. So you have to come to the meeting. We have four choices. And then people will vote for what they want to read. And we'll try to do different themes where our next one coming up is the personal librarian. Mm -hmm. um, that, that was, was for... Library Lovers okay. Month. And yeah. that's on the last. Wednesday uh, discussion starts at six and then for March we did it it was um, neurodiversity right yeah a neurodiversity yeah. book and we ended they ended up picking it's always interesting because we come up with with this this sheet 
that has the four choices. And I know some of the people in the group will just take that and use it as a recommended reading. They'll read all of them. But they ended up picking uh, Bewilderment by Richard Powers. I've never read a Powers novel, so I'm, I'm interested to read that. And then do you remember what the theme we'll be voting on? February is oh it's gonna be Pacific Northwest author mm. and but a fiction book this time because Ooh. we're gearing up for our author oh right the author event yeah. in May yeah so we're sparking interest uh, doing it that way yes it's been a really good book club it's been a really good book yeah club. yeah it has um and then we've got Joe's romance so I wanted to start a romance book club because I think I've talked about this before I feel the romance industry has been a lot of sexism and people thinking that it's not as good as other fiction uh, certainly in my life uh, I did a English as an undergrad and that was a lot of the professors really looked down on romance books um, but there's a lot of great written romance books out there and I think it's really gaining momentum. And it certainly makes publishing companies a ton of, of money. So people are reading romance. Um, I'm doing it every second month. And we started in October. And it's similar to the Adult Book Club where we'll vote for the next ones, um, for the next book. It's the second Tuesday of the month. And we meet at 530 we did. We started off with a contemporary. I wanted to explore all the different genres. So we started off with contemporary. We did Yours Truly by Abby Jimenez. Um, it was the second book in a series. And that's kind of where I learned, oh, you should really start <laughs> <laughs> with the first book in the series. And we only had three people come. And we did it in December. We did a historical romance. We did Knockout by Sarah McLean. And that was the third book in a series, and that was the same kind of thing. That was, um, it's the Hell's Bells uh, series. It, um, it was like a woman vigilante group in Victorian England, and they're fighting for the factory workers, trying to get better conditions for them, or if uh, people are in abusive relationships. And the main character in that one is an explosive expert. So we read that one. And then we just had our February one, which was had really a lot better attendance. I think the word's finally getting out. We had eight people, and we were doing fantasy romance or a romanticy, as Goodreads calls it. And they had chosen Fourth Wing, which is super popular romanticy by Rebecca Yaros. We had a really good discussion. People really loved it. The main character is Violet and she has a chronic illness and I learned in reading that the author also has this illness. It's Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It's a tissue disorder. So in the book the character's joints will pop out a lot and the author's four sons has it too. She has six kids I guess. But this is um, Fourth Wing is, is Set in this world where there's dragon riders. They've been lied to. And her mother forces her to become a dragon rider because everyone in their family has been dragon riders. And they have to walk this parapet on graduation or to get to the school. It's like going to dragon riding college. And a lot of people fall off this parapet. But she survives. 
And it's really about she survives even though she's small and she's got this joint disease. She survives by being smart and making all these friendships and connections with people. There's a really good uh, romance. There's awesome world building. There's a lot of diversity and inclusion in the book. There's bi characters. There's people of color. Oh, it's a new adult or emerging adult, which is kind of a new genre. We talked a bit about that, yeah. where it starts from like 18 to 29, kind of in that. So that's a real interesting time because people's frontal lobes aren't, you know, haven't grown all the way and they're making these decisions like going to college or getting new jobs and forming new friend groups. Uh, so we talked a little bit about, is it necessary? Like, what do you think about that, Becky, about that new genre? I think I think it's really interesting because I feel like when I was in library school, so it would have been like, I don't know, 15 years ago, it was like, this is the next big thing. It's going to be new adult, this big genre. But what it was at the time was just like a lot of college age romances were coming out. That was like YA, but explicit. Mm -hmm. Um, and it never really seemed like it caught ground, but there were talks about like, you know, is this going to mean we're having a new section in the library? I don't know. I think this kind of second round, there might be something more there because like in the, in the years since then, I think in the fantasy genre, mm -hmm. they're seeing a real need because publishers don't know what to do with these books. Like... Like Sarah J. Mass's books, yeah. mm -hmm. it's because of Sarah J. Mass. I think if if the new adult designation sticks, I think it's going to be because of this one author. Because her books, you know, she wrote they're publishing us YA in even in like the Court of Thorns and Roses, and then it hits a part where the publisher decides this is too explicit to be YA, and mm -hmm. we're going to move this whole series to adult. And so they have now, they republished the whole series as adult, and they've even republished a different series that is just more YA as adult now, too. And it's like they can't decide where to put her stuff. But we, we still have it in YA. Um, We've moved, so we have like the Throne of Glass series in YA, but the Court of whatever, whatever Thorns is, and Roses is an adult now. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Because um, I was like, not going to split the series up. Right. So it just makes sense to me all be in like what's left. And then maybe I'll track more people into the science fiction section. Yeah. And then yeah, like Fourth Wing is like in that vein, I feel like. And another one is the Scholomance series. It that's uh that's kind of like a college one and that's in is I think that's in science fiction yeah. too. Yeah. Is that the one there's one that was like a James Patterson, uh like Kingdom of Wicked where they did like I don't know, maybe three that were YA, and now they're publishing, like, a companion series as adult. And at, like, a meeting I was at, someone was like, publishers are changing the series to adult. You might just want to, like, move all of the books. Okay. I haven't done that yet, but it does make it kind of, like, confusing right. for us, you know, yeah. reclassifying books all of the time. But I don't know. I do think there's something there. And that's certainly what people in their early 20s want to read. Yeah, yeah, because this, the fourth wing was 
huge on TikTok and uh-huh. Bookstagram. Is that how you spell it? Yeah. 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 Did you want to say something, Mark? Oh, I was just, while we were talking about romance and um, publishing and stuff, I just wanted to put something out to the universe because I buy the romance paperbacks for the library and we're doing a lot of an, attempts to diversify. And there are so, because I, I was doing fiction for a while, adult fiction. There's so many cool, diverse, contemporary romances coming out in like trade yeah. paperback. And I go to look for them in mass market and they're just not publishing them in mass market, which is really frustrating because people like mass market as a, you know, there's people who are just, they like to read that way. Um, and I know there's a lot of really cool, diverse romance coming out, but they need to put it out in mass market. Oh, so. yeah. Right. Another thing we talked about with Fourth Wing was this trend in romance novels to empower, where the hero empowers the heroine, like not just save her, and how much. And this book is an example where at the beginning you almost think that there's a triangle with like her old friend that's also in there and the, like the new bad boy kind of <laughs> thing. But then you realize that the old friend is just trying to hold her down you know and the 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 hero or the new bad boy is uh really he wants her to be powerful oh and then so we voted next we're doing a paranormal romance and bride one by ali hazelwood and so that will be on april 12th at 5 30 at the library and i'll have the books available if you need one to purchase about a month I was going to go back to the emerging adult or new adult thing. When I was in library school, that was one of the things that they had talked about too. And I thought that was kind of a fun thing that Becky had mentioned that they're still having this conversation about, is this a genre that's going to change the organization of the library Mm -hmm. a bit? And is it going to catch on enough to become a distinct genre? Well, I, when I was in school, we, there was talk about emerging adult programming mm-hmm. um so like doing different classes like how to fix your car how to change a tire or how to um apply for a loan or you know how to move out of your parents house and survive on your own but uh, there wasn't so much talk about a genre i guess but i can see it because the i've heard that that is a category that the library has trouble serving, you know, that um, as far as age groups Mm -hmm. go, serve the kids really well, serve adults. But when people are in the new adults, they don't maybe don't come to the library as much all the time. So I don't know, maybe something we can look into. But as part of learning about that genre, um, one of the books that I read was a gay romance called Conventionally Yours. Mm -hmm. And it's about two like college aged boys who were really into this card game that's like Magic the Gathering. And they end up going on this road trip to go to this convention together because they were originally going to fly, but then all these things kind of fell apart. And so it's just the two of them. It was originally going to be a big group. And it's all about like their road trip misadventures as they try to make their way to this convention. I thought it was funny because they kind of bring in a lot of different romance tropes. Like they do the enemies to lovers thing. They do the the hotel only having one bed. Like they just kind of all the classics, like it really mixes in. I really enjoyed it. And I think one of the things I liked about it is that it has that mix of they're they're definitely adults, but they're still learning who they are. And so they're kind of in that in-between stage where 
they sort of figured it out, but they're not quite there yet. And they're still trying to decide what they want to do with their lives. And I think that that's like a really important and impactful age range, you know, very distinct. Yeah, I think like for a long time, there's been like a big readership of young adult, like a big adult readership of young adult books. And part of that is kind of like a call for (laughs) like adult books that have these kind of like coming of age elements to them because you don't just like figure out who you are when you're like 17 and then the rest of your life is like you know just working right although sometimes that seems like (laughs) (laughs) i'm still trying to figure it out yeah over 50 Uh (laughs) but then you know if you've published some of those books as ya then what is this what does young adult even mean if it's like you know they're like 20 yeah yeah i think also like Red, White, and Royal Blue was, like, a huge book that no one could just... Dis- I mean, the publishers decided it's, like, an adult contemporary romance. But when people were talking about it, couldn't decide if they wanted to call it a young adult book or an adult romance. I remember you talking about that kind of stuff. I'm with- like, it's not a young adult book! <laughs> I remember you talking about that kind of stuff when you were on committees. Mm-hmm. And you'd, there'd be a book, and it'd be like, oh, the kid's 20. And I'd be like, who cares? Yeah, I also think, like, Firekeeper's Daughter... <laughs> You know, she's out of high school. There's also, you know, adult books that are published with teen characters, too. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, perspective is a little different. There's so many, like, little things when you're talking about genre where you're like, that makes it not this or that. Mm -hmm. I get that way about, like, romance. I'm like, if they're not together at the end, it's not a romance novel. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did a, in the romance (laughs) book club, we, we finally came up with a spice you know, category. Uh-huh. It's mostly like a scale? Yeah. I use the romance writers of America, but we put chili peppers, so it goes from one chili pepper to five chili peppers uh-huh. and then we'll kinda use it. But the trouble with that is it's very subjective. Sure. You know, so it's hard to stick with one. How many thing. chili peppers is four queen? We said three. Okay. Three chili peppers. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And just like a little shout out to our friends of the library group so our friends in the library is a volunteer run nonprofit, and they financially support uh, all of the programs that we do here at the library um, but especially our book clubs so for our youth book clubs we never charge the kids for copies of the books um, the friends pay for those entirely they also you know pay for like snacks and craft supplies and stuff and then they subsidize the the costs of the of the adult book club books so you pay a nominal fee for your copy of the book while they last and the friends pick it up so that it's more accessible to people yes and we're having a new book club coming in march yeah very excited march 12th joe's romance book club is every other month and in the opposite slot every other month we're gonna have a graphic novel book club me and Jennifer Jensen. Jennifer Jensen did the adult book club before Joe and I. She's coming back to book clubs. It's going to be amazing. This is a non-voting book club. So we already decided all this the slate for the year. And our, we're going to alternate fiction and nonfiction. The first one is Shubik Lubik by, I believe it's Dina Muhammad. It's an Egyptian graphic novel that has been translated now into English. Because it was written in Arabic, it reads right to left which is interesting it's a debut and it imagines imagines an alternate cairo where wishes are like 
real and a commodity that's like sold and what that does to that world. And then the next one, we'll be reading nonfiction, one, uh, a graphic novel called Family Style, which is, which is about a Vietnamese American experience. I know from doing the circulation stuff, like comics and graphic novels are just exploding, uh, circulating like crazy. And we're excited to maybe bring more different audience into into our book club world yeah what you were saying joe about romance kind of reminded me so the other day the northwest voices author was douglas wolk douglas wolk and he talks about his book all the marvels is about his experience reading all of the marvel comics between you know this certain year and this other year that spans like you know 50 years 61 and 20 1961 to like 2020 so he knows a lot about like the history of comics and he was talking about how Marvel was built off of the success of romance comics mm -hmm. and that before there were superhero comics, that was kind of the big money maker for them because people love romance so much. Yeah. And then it kind of, he said kind of lasted until the seventies and kind of dropped off for some reason. But he also talked about how Spider-Man became really popular. I mean, it was popular, but it became really popular when sort of a new team came in and started focusing a lot more on the romances in Peter Parker's life, and it became kind of a, suit, a somewhat romance comic. Yeah. So these things, were they romance comics before that Yeah, it was like, the industry? Yes, oh. it was just yeah. like, you know, this teenage girl. Like in the her. 40s and yeah. 50s uh, in particular, yeah. Maybe like Archie, but more... Adult? Yeah, I was going to say, or more like plot, oh. I guess. <laughs> yeah. More of a story? Right. <laughs> What do you call Archie's, like, uh, situational, right? Right. Yeah, that's the word I was looking at. This is really fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like hearing about the ones I'm not in, too, mm -hmm. you know? That's uh... that's another cool thing, I think, when you, when you have, like, a book club that's about genre, or even, like, the way you guys do categories, you know, in the, in the adult is like you get to those conversations you're like well what makes this a genre what makes this distinct like people talking about young um new adult or emerging adult it's like well what makes this is this distinct enough to be its own genre or is it just like a a subgenre or yeah a or just like some books you could put on display together <laughs> and also i i do think everything changes you know you have to be open mm -hmm. to society changing or culture changing and then possibly genres changing yeah. as well yeah. i think too and you know like at the library changing mm -hmm. like yeah maybe you know there's a point where there's enough where you set a section aside and you call that new adult and then it stops being a thing and it just dissolves back into like we used to have a dystopian genre in the teen collection mm -hmm. and uh i just got rid of it a couple of years ago because there was a time where, like, every other book was a dystopian book, and it made sense to shelve them all together. And then when you're just getting, like, one or two new ones a year, it, they're just science fiction books. So. You didn't get rid of the books. They just... No, I just relabeled them all right. as science yeah. fiction. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we see that, too, with, like, Western. Mm -hmm. the I think a lot about, like, the Western section. Um, more and more things published that straddle genres. And so, like... There's questions about the future of like our hardback westerns because, you know, the most popular west quote unquote western writers are in mysteries, C.J. Yeah. Box and Craig Johnson, 
And then there's people like Anna North and other people who are writing like weird Westerns, which tend to be thought of as literary and put in general fiction. And so that's meant that maybe maybe there isn't a Western section in the future. It's kind of like talking about our music collection, too. You know, like, what's this and what's that? Yeah. Beyonce's also, new album, do you put it in country or you yeah. put it with the rest of the Beyonce album? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. One of the great things about the book clubs, too, I think, for people and for for me is the structured exploration where it's like stuff I wouldn't necessarily read or a genre mm -hmm. I wouldn't pick up, but I do because, you know, I have to. Right. Um, and it, but I'm glad I did usually. I've had a lot Almost of people always. tell me that, that come to the adult book club and the romance book club too. We had in the last romance book club, we had a grandma come and her, she said her granddaughters were telling her all about Aww. fourth wing and she wanted to <laughs> like have something that she could talk to I them about. That. Yeah. So she read it and then came, but she had questions too about. The adult, she's like, maybe this is too spicy for me. I don't know. <laughs> Three chili peppers. <laughs> yeah. um, because they were, other people were, we were talking about what we're reading now or what we're liking. And one girl was so funny. She was, she was like, just start trying to talk about it and just blushing, beat red. <laughs> just even uh, thinking about the, the thing she was reading. But it's a safe space, everyone. You yeah. can share whatever you like and not uh, not be made fun of. One thing I like about the Evergreen Teen Book Club is that not we're reading from both the middle school and the high school lists, okay. and so we kind of alternate between which list we're reading from. But then at the end, the kids can like have an input by voting on the nominees, and so that's really cool to see. And then I like reading these books because it feels like they're you know the top quality ones, you yeah. know. There's always good selections in there. And I've gotten to be introduced to a few different series that I've finished because of the Evergreen yeah. Teen Book Club. Uh, I read Aurora Rising all the way through, and I loved that series. I read Bloom, which was from the middle school list. I would like to finish the initial insults. Yeah. Second book, which is The Last Laugh. So You read that one where they're like, Remember the cover is like gray. That, you read that whole series. Were you a patron? <laughs> There's this book. You know, it's by this where guy. she goes and she's like sent and she's like on a boat. Oh yeah, a ship of smoke and steel. Yes. You read that series. I read that series. Yeah, Django Wexler. There seems to be a lot of titles like da 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 like. Court this, of Thrones or Roses. Yeah, this is that true. and the other. Yeah, yeah. That's a thing. Or with the kids, it's like we're going to be reading Stand Up Yumi Chung. Uh -huh. But there's so many other ones that are like, get a grip, Vivi Cohen, or all, the, <laughs> yeah. all oh, these other. Like Kekla Magoon, some of her titles are like that too. Like the ones you were talking about, the middle grade. Like yeah. some name and then. Mm -hmm. Or something, something name. The other thing that's really moving for me about the adult ones and I think is, is, is one of the big things is the social connection for adults in particular. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason that we have that social time mm -hmm. is that I think for a lot of them, it's hard, particularly in this moment post-COVID, you know, um, to make connections with people, you know, and in society in general, I think people have school and then when they're out of school, maybe they have work mm -hmm. and it's hard for them to, to make friends and so it's really satisfying to see that and we get people telling us it's the highlight of their month 
Yeah. Um, and, and having these side conversations and friendships. And mm-hmm. I always feel really good. Afterward. There's the Kathy Club, because yes. I think we've got three or four. All the Kathys. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just really nice. And my husband said that he's been coming to some of them. And he said that he only talks with other scientists at work. And he doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very small. And so it's neat to come and hear what the community, their thoughts and feelings about different subjects. It, you know, kind of opens your world a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been real nice also. In conclusion, come to our book club. Yeah. (laughs) I always say that my favorite thing about working in a library is to be able to see people, like, make friends. Mm -hmm. And you see that from... You know, when they start coming to baby story time all the way up to, you know. The community baby shower. Yeah, baby bro. Yeah. We had a, a family come in and they exchanged numbers and wanted to set up a play date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the best. So I'm really excited about um, this little series that we're going to do on the podcast. So we'll do them seasonally and just talk about what we're reading in the, in the book clubs. Do you guys want to just say your favorite thing that you read in a book club at the library? last year i think for mine it was the tj clune what was it called austin what was the title uh, cerulean sea yeah the... house on the cerulean yeah. sea i think that was my favorite we did that for our romance pick uh for february last year and it was kind of a kind of like a fantasy yeah. slash a, it was a gay romance and it was so so wonderful it really so grabbed good. people it really yeah. grabbed people who i didn't think who, who didn't seem like they expected to like it uh, almost everybody i think everybody yeah, people were very moved like liked it yeah 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 so that was probably my favorite he i think i liked the initial insult that was the one that stuck with me mm-hmm. the most and while i haven't read the sequel i'm definitely going to <laughs> i also very i don't know if that was this year but for the podcast which isn't okay never mind it's for the podcast i really like the best of me by david sedaris that was really good the podcast is also like a book club it is yeah it basically is it's really hard because i can't remember everything we read last year (laughs) and i mentioned the sentence and i think that it's reading louise erdrick it's like candy to me so that was really good i think for me it maybe has been the american girl books we had done Rebecca in November, and the way that the American Girl Publishing works now is kind of weird, but they used to publish, like, every girl would have six books, and they were all, like, a school book, an introduction book, a spring book, a summer book, you know, a holiday book, and then the, then they changed them, and so they're publishing them in, like, kind of slightly abridged um, omnibuses. And they left the Hanukkah part out of the Rebecca book. But I read it, you know, as the how they published it before. And it was my favorite one. Because Rebecca lives in, like, in New York in, I don't know, like, 1914. And her family are Jewish immigrants. And the, the holiday one talks about it's, like, Christmas time. And at school, they're expected to like make this Christmas craft and do Christmas stuff together. And she has one Jewish friend who's just like getting, you know, go along to get along and just doing whatever. And another one that's like, I'm not Christian. I'm not going to do this holiday that I don't celebrate. And then she's kind of conflicted because she kind of wants to do the craft 
you know, she, you know, <laughs> doesn't celebrate the holiday and her teacher is not very understanding about it. And she ends up making this connection with this neighbor who's like a cranky old man who she didn't really understand before. And I just thought it was like so great. And what decade was that one? It's like that the teen, 19, I think it's 1914. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe that one was my favorite one. All right. So thank you guys for coming on. Um, and thanks everybody for listening to your show. Or mine. Or mine. Or mine. I'm Becky. I'm Jill. I'm Jacob. I'm Austin. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. Hello, and welcome to your shelf. And mine? Or mine. <laughs> I cannot remember. Oh. Is it or? Or oh, mine. My. Okay. <laughs>